Welcome to the third episode of Square Talk. My name is Philip. I'm your host, as well as a content and brand manager at SquareShot, a product photography service based in the U.S. Today, we're going to speak with Dylan York. He is a photographer and art director out of Orlando, Florida, who has recently launched a creative studio called Poolboy alongside his partner, Chris Ludwig. Prior to that experience, he has worked as a creative director at Corkskull and produced content for collaborations such as Rifle Paper Company, as well as Star Wars, just to name a few. Well, let's get into the episode. Okay, so this is the third episode of Score Talk. Welcome, Dylan. I'm so happy to see you. This is, you know I me. Mean? You are a busy man, mm-hmm. so I am. I'm grateful that you, you know you made some time to sit down and talk to us. So uh, I want to begin by talking about a little bit how we met, how we know each other, and you know the backstory of how essentially Dylan and you know Cork School that we're gonna go into uh, connected with a square shot. Do you remember when this happened? <clears throat> Yeah, I was thinking about this, and it had to have been almost five years ago. I I think yeah, around that time. I think I just searched online for I was looking for product photography, and there was a handful of options out there, and I think I found you guys, and I started emailing, and it had to have been it had to have been Alex or Alice. Definitely uh, Alex. Yeah, at the very beginning. Yeah, and it was just like you know. It was a right. It was the right fit. It felt good at the time, so we just kind of just did a test and did it. And then mm-hmm. we're five years later, and I, I mean, I couldn't tell you how many orders we've done with you guys. So <laughs> we're super grateful. Yeah, and, I, and yeah, I want to say too, thank you for having me. Thank you, Alex. Um, very appreciative of Square Shot. So you guys have been a great partner for so so long, and I'm excited about the new podcast. So this is cool. Cool. Awesome. Actually, like when when we were just uh, launching the podcast, you were the first guest that I thought about it because I've 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 known about Quark School way before even my time at Squareshot. And when we started working together, the only thing that I realized right away, right off the bat, is that yeah, you and Quark School are the like the perfect client to have. And that was specific because you understand the process. You are a photographer yourself, right? And then sort of you understanding the process kind of aligned the expectations between each party. Mm-hmm. And in that way, the process was, you know, much sim- simpler. And, you know, there was a lot of thought put into it. You understand the, how nuanced it can be mm-hmm. and, you know, the reasons why it can take the, the, the amount of time it takes. Yeah. Right. So but before we jump into Quarksicle, I'd like to begin with a little bit of your background. And I think it's fair to start with Yamaha, right? Your fir- was that was that your first kind of big gig? It really was. Um, before that, I... I um I grew up in the South, and I just dreamed about playing music and um, being in a band and surfing and going to the beach. That was my dream. Um, so the driving force was playing music, and I meandered my way and found myself a job at Yamaha. And that's Yamaha, like pianos and keyboards and that kind of stuff. So most people think of motorcycles or four-wheelers, yeah. um, but that was in Nashville, and it was a very unique experience and some really sweet people took me under their wing and taught me a lot of uh, technical things like video editing and color correction and um, photography was always a hobby of mine so that sort of just kind of mm-hmm. meshed together um, but yeah I spent so you you actually initially started with video right that was your yeah, your yeah, main um, thing right away yeah so what they, oh, and they were they were creating content for all of their artists uh, mm-hmm. just to like start building their YouTube channels. I mean, this was years ago, so it was like kind of new, but they, they were like pretty quick on, you know, creating a lot of content for, 
for YouTube. Mm-hmm. Did you have any like photography? You said it was a hobby, but was it ever like a paid gig thing before Yamaha? No, it was always a hobby. I I mean, I was taking photos for for fun and for my bands and just pure just pure joy and hobby. So, mm-hmm. yeah. when was the first time you realized that this is becoming kind of a profession? In terms of like photography, especially for photography, I think it was my next gig, which was down here in Florida at a video production house. Um, again, video, you know, like I'm I'm on set yeah. a lot. I'm in a studio. I was really, um, you know, Instagram was very new. It, it seemed like everyone was a photographer all of a sudden, and I I love photography. Mm-hmm. So I think I started taking it seriously, and I was like, you know, I want to learn lighting. I'm really interested in product photography and still life because that seems very, um, I'm just really drawn to that personally. And also mm-hmm. I think it kind of sets me apart from the people in my area. Um, like I said, I feel like everyone is a lifestyle photographer. If you have an iPhone, yeah. I'm taking photos for everyone. So um, that was intentional. And I think I really started taking it serious there. And the people I worked with, um, super talented and i i just like absorbed all the knowledge and watched how they were sending up the lights and um basically it was kind of my lighting school i would say mm-hmm. and then uh so right after the production house what what happens next where do you go um well the that i call it a production house that place was very special we did a lot of different things a lot of cool things um documentaries and commercials and that's where i we started a um an apparel brand within Mm -hmm. so it was like a house of creative ideas um and i got to run wild and do lots of fun stuff so that was uh that was really really fun very a huge learning experience for me but that ended and that left me here in here in florida um like what do i do next and i just Mm -hmm. started calling people. I was like, Hey, what's happening? Like, what's going on? Like, what can I, do you have any jobs that you know of? Like I'm looking for something special. I wanted something. I didn't want to just like get a job. Like I was looking for something Mm -hmm. special. And then a mutual friend of a friend connected me with my boss at Corksicle. And Mm -hmm. it just kind of happened. Like really we, we got connected, we got drinks little quick meetup um and it was like okay let's do this and i was one okay, of but you... i was one of the first hires at quirksicle so they were i won't say they were young but they were mm-hmm. how do i put it they were exploding at the time but how many years ago is this this was for five context years, five years ago okay so they just wow. turned 10 yeah. yeah so they had already had five years under their belt tons of mm-hmm. success tons of like tons um, and then when I, you know, they were really exploding and when I started, they just needed lots of help. So I kind of just jumped into the deep end and, you know, they let me run wild and do like, but your first actual experience with e- e-commerce just in general and, uh, you said you talked about apparel yeah. brand, right? Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that. How were you introduced to actually shooting? Like I'm assuming product photos, right? That was a thing as well for you right away. Yeah. That was my first e-commerce experience. And that was like literally just me and a couple of guys trying to figure it out with no experience, like starting from scratch. I'm talking like inventory logistics, like building the website, shooting the photography, like, 
you know, I think we had a good grasp on the photography side, like as far mm -hmm. as the branding and the lifestyle, but really like the, like the, um, product photography was challenging in and of itself. Cause it had some of those shirts had like a pattern and it had that moray effect. And we were just like, what do we do with this? Cause when you saw it on the screen, it looked like this mesh of disaster. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So that's just one of the problems that stick out to me. Like we really had to problem solve that. Um, I don't know. It was, it was starting from scratch and doing every little thing just by, you know, trial and error, I would say. Any big takeaways from that experience, especially that you can bring on later on to Corkskull? Yeah, don't do it by yourself. Do it with a team, <laughs> uh, and a knowledgeable team, which I, I could speak forever about Corkskull. Like that is, that was another great learning experience of, mm -hmm. um, seeing how those guys came together and there, there was four partners and each partner was sort of like already successful in their, I would say vertical. So if you, mm -hmm. if you looked at it simply like marketing sales, finance and logistics, they had like a master at each one of those. So that was really cool. And each one of them ran their business and built teams strict, strictly for those things. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So yeah, so my previous experience was just me and a and a couple of guys trying to figure it out, and then I go into like a real operation where these guys are experienced and understand you got to like bring a team together to pull off the big idea. But then I guess the cool thing was that being able to run wild and try out different things later on, you know, help not be scared essentially to go into bigger things. Yeah, definitely, and I think that's my personality is just just go and do it, you know. Um, and luckily when Corksicle has been very successful and when, when they were growing so fast, it was like, we just need people to just do like, don't come and ask me to do something like come and tell me what you did and did it work. If it didn't, what did you do to fix it? Mm -hmm. I love that. So, mentality. And I love that mentality. Yeah. I love that mentality. It's just like, go and do it and problem solve. And I think it takes a, a certain kind of person to thrive in that environment. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, I don't know. I enjoyed it. It was good for me. So you, you come into Quirk School. Would you say that you came in like at a turning point for the company? Yeah, I would definitely say. And I, I would call it a milestone. And they've had many before me and many since I was there. Mm -hmm. So it, it was definitely a milestone. But what would you say, what was the environment like that allowed for that? Was that something that was happening in e-commerce in e just in general in the U.S.? Or was it specific to the company? Um, hmm. there's probably, a, there's a lot of factors. And I would say when I started, it was more just pure organic growth and success of just people loving the product and discovering it. Mm -hmm. Um, but when it comes in to like e-commerce, that was not the focus when I started, but it quickly became like, oh, we really need to invest in this. This is really important. It's really, you know, like it's been a, a bit, a pretty strong trend. And then yeah. I mean, fast forward to last year and everyone just explodes. And yeah, so it's, it's, I would say it slowly became a, a priority of investment. Yeah. Okay. And so, and then was there like a, a paradigm shift in terms of uh, the approach to content, right? Because I'm assuming before that, before e-commerce, right? There's no product uh, sale without a photo e-commerce so right. how, how does the approach change what was the big things that you guys you know realized or started doing that you weren't doing before that 
I mean, the simple answer is just more. Like it wasn't a, a major mm-hmm. strategy shift. It was just more, 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 more. Okay, and then so you come into Cork School. What was your first big project in terms of uh, you know design or uh, you know art direction? Yeah, in the way. Um, man, I look back on my first year there, and I it's like unbelievable the the amount of things we just jumped right into. One was a really big photo shoot that I produced and art directed and helped just like pull off with the, mm-hmm. with the team, of course. Um, and that was with some ambassadors that we had just signed on and, and decided to launch at that time. Now, what was your general, like uh, the process behind creative briefings and stuff like this? How would you start it? How would you essentially choose which direction you're going with or, you know, the prerequisite for that? I mean, I think for everything, it's answering why. Like, why are we doing this? What's the purpose? What's the goal? Like that, that's the baseline for any any production, any piece of content, any art direction is like, why? Um, and I think we slowly got really, we got better at that. I wouldn't say, um, and I, that's something you practice and you, you get better at all the time. So I wouldn't say I've mastered it, but mm-hmm. it yeah. is very important. Judging by like your portfolio and then looking at the work that you've done at Quirk School, you seem like, you know, you seem, it seems like you've mastered, uh, just in general, these lively lifestyle kind of images that, you know, show how the product thrives within the environment. But talk to me a little bit about, you know, catalog photos, you know, cause that's a, a beast of its own. What was your approach to that? How, you know, how much resources was put into lifestyle imagery, uh, in comparison to like catalog and product photos? Well, thank you for that compliment. Um, <laughs> Approach to catalog photography, well, that's, I mean, that's the whole thing is showing the product being used and like what its benefit is, like why do people want this? Again, it's answering why. Um, but really the fun part about Corksicle was just showing the colors and showing the patterns and just exploring more of the aesthetic world. Um, there was always a balance of like, a, like pushing the brand versus pushing the the features um mm-hmm. and i think they've gotten a lot lot a lot better at doing that and over the years and basically we you know it just took a long time to define the different types of content because the company was growing the products are scaling the offering is getting bigger um so it was constantly changing like every six months was a whole new company like literally and you guys are like corksicle is known for their collaborations so uh, how does that happen? How, how do you guys, you know, find them? How do you start to align your visions with, you know, every collaborator that you work for? What's the process mm-hmm. like there? Um, it's all over the board. I think a lot of it, well, not a lot of it. Some of it is just personal relationships, um, being at trade shows, going to licensed events, like one loving design, like, um, my boss there at Corksicle, he is, he loves art. He loves design. So he's constantly looking for the new thing because he, he loves it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's, that really guided a lot of our collaborations and, but they're all different. They're all absolutely different. No one is cookie cutter. Every relationship is different. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just like 
I would say if you boiled it down, it's just loving design and wanting to expand the product line. And have you had a, a specific one that you were, you know, a fan of across your work oh, and yeah. first goal? For sure. Well, the first one is, um, the very first one was a personal connection to me, which was the Rifle Paper Company. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are local to our area and just old friends of ours. So that was like a really fun one of, of two Florida brands coming together to do something really cool. So that one was special. And then um, there's been, they're all like great and unique in their own way, but obviously Star Wars is a big one that came out yeah. last year. I mean, that's that's like next level brand collaboration. Um, I mean, Disney. there's one. Yeah, yeah. Go yeah, ahead. Disney, I mean, what a what a great collaboration to do with Disney. How much uh, like what was their part? What part did they play? How much of a input or you know did they partake in the creation of the photos or just on the design stage? Can you you know just tell me more about that collaboration? Yeah, like I said, they're all different. Um, I think working with Lucasfilm, they this you know they have this whole Star Wars world that you get to play in. Um, there's there's a lot of leeway and then there's a lot of like very specific things like you can't put this character wearing this uniform in this universe or world or spaceship because he never was there in the movies. Um, and if you're a fan of Star Wars, you know, and like Star Wars fans are notoriously like, uh, I don't know what the word is. Nerdy, I guess about the, <laughs> I mean, you know, like they know yeah. every little detail. Yeah. So like, if you get a detail wrong, you're just not, you're never going to live it down. So there was that to keep in mind, to like keep in mind in our creative process, but you know, our product team killed it. Um, and that, that kind of goes into like a lot of before marketing and before the creative, the product team is working on the brief. So we kind of get handed off a lot of thought process and a lot of design inspiration. So it's kind of, they do a lot of the hard work and sort of pave the way for marketing to make Mm -hmm. beautiful photos and content. What are the bigger challenges there working within the, the, you know, one, the frames that they set, like, yeah, I would say, um, I'd say this as a compliment, like we, at Quirksick, we move so fast that we're, we are able to quickly turn things around. And for a big collaboration like that, there's so many people involved. It really makes you slow down and like dial in all the planning and make sure everything is pre-approved and that um that's a good thing but it's just something we weren't like totally had mastered yet um and that was last year and i would say totally comfortable doing it now so Mm -hmm. that's just a testament to how quick the quirksicle team adapts and uh can pump it out and work amazingly one thing that i personally admire about quirksicle is wherever you look whether it's instagram the website or anywhere else any other platform you can see the consistency between the creative process, right? Between the catalog photos, between the identity. So uh, I want to talk about, you know, just in general, the process of creating style guides. What was the process of, what are like the corkscrew secrets of having that consistency across, you know, all platforms? Mm. Yeah, well, the secret is keep it simple um, and strive for consistency. I mean, that's why I would say 
we've worked with Square Shop for five years. It's like there's a consistency there. Every time we send product, it comes back. We know exactly what to expect. And that translate when you go to our website, like I would say 95% of the photography and the product photography is like spot on. And that other 5% is old photography that I did. So it's not <laughs> as good as <laughs> So it's like legacy stuff. But yeah, consistency across the board. I mean, that's, if you can know, if you know your brand and know why you're doing what you're doing, and then just stick to that message, whether it's your copy or your visuals, like you're going to win. Like if you have a style guide, stick to it forever. Like, and it's your Bible. Uh, and I want to ask this really quick as well. So per se, there's a new brand, you know, it's about to start shooting their first, you know, collections and everything. Uh, and uh, they want to do, you know, hero shots, you know, these more advertising kind of shots. Do you have any recommendations to where to begin? What to, you know, or what, what to put your attention in and um, just in general, how to not go overboard in terms of like, because, you know, when you when you go creative, right, there's really no cap on that. And sometimes you can go over budget or sometimes you can, you know, run out of time. What is your, your advice in general? I mean, it depends on what the brand mission is. Like, what are, what is their goal? What are they trying to do? Like, if it's just to, like, make noise and be seen, is it, a, you know, I don't know. I'm always a, a very much a less is more kind of person. Mm -hmm. And that's my, I lean towards that aesthetic. Like, let the color speak for itself. Let the product speak for itself. Um, I don't know. It's, I don't know what the magic answer for that one is, I mean, but there, I don't think there I is think one. If, I think there's, you know, yours, if you know, if you know your brand, lean into it and, and own it. Like, don't try to be like someone else's brand or if you see an ad, you're trying to emulate this. Like really it's, it's all that strategy and, and work on the front end of a brand, like lean into that and own it. And then make sure you're partnering with people who can translate that and just, lean into it you know there's a big question to ask is so you leave cork school and the first question the big one is why <laughs> what goes into your in your head at that time because you know cork school is exploding and it still is and you know i am i am a personal like you know fan in terms of the brand itself and and the, the product and the way you guys uh you did and they're doing the business right now right so, you know, why? Um, I think you might have answered it for me. They are exploding. They're getting bigger and they're growing. And that's the goal is to scale. And I, th I think it took me a long time to realize that I really enjoy the smallness. Like, I think I can come into a small organization and do a lot of damage in a good way. Like, I can get a lot done with efficiency. Um but yeah, I would say, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to come off the wrong way. And no, speak, speak your mind. Yeah. It's like, maybe it's gotten too, too big, big for me. Yeah. So I think I, I enjoy the entrepreneurial aspect, the smallness of teams and, um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 100%. I mean, personally, yeah. square shot is built upon the same principles and the things that you mentioned in the beginning. It's like, 
uh, don't tell me you can't do it or don't tell me what you're going to do. Just do it. And then, you know, if you had issues, fix it and, you know, have this instant approach, right? Where between you and the the progress is just, you know, one person, maybe you are the person in between you and uh, the company and, you know, progress in general. So yeah. I, I guess, yeah. So I completely, I'm completely on board with you on that one. And um, so what was going in your head at that time? Were you, did you know that you want to go and open your space? Um, no, I think it took me a long time to process it. And I will blame all of this on my business partner, Chris <laughs> Ladwig. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, he sort of, um, I would say he's like legend around here. Like he has won all these awards, super humble guy, amazing talent. Um, he's worked at a bunch of agencies around here and everyone just looks up to him. He's just so good. And he actually worked on the Quirksicle brand before I even went there. So like, Oh wow. I didn't he, know that. Yeah. He also worked on Quirksicle That's and cool. yeah. So there was a lot of, um, really cool things that happened where we just sort of synced up as friends. Like our families became friends mm -hmm. and, um, honestly, we just, we hit it off and became really good friends. And then, you know, over a couple of conversations, it's like, oh, we should join forces and do this together. And it was like, before we knew it, we started it, started thinking the process. We started building out our strategy of what Pool Boy Studio would be and, and coming up with a name and like really just, it was cool because we had all the time in the world to, to like dream and dial and tweak everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it was like, okay, um, are we going to do this? When are we going to do this? It was, it, I would say it was just a big idea that we talked about a lot. And then suddenly it was like, well, let's see if, let's see if, uh, we can make a move on it. And I don't know, we put a couple of feelers out and I feel like we proved the concept pretty quickly and it was like, let's go. And so this is kind of a, it come back like a throwback to the time that you worked at the video production house, right? Where uh, again, it's like, you know, the space that you, you can go wild and, you know, test out your creativity, I, I guess. Mm. Can you, can you draw a lot of parallels from, you know, two of these experiences? I mean, yeah, every experience is built on to like give me more experience and confidence to do the next thing. So absolutely. Like I can look back at all my previous gigs and jobs and experiences playing music and it's like it all points to just getting better and more well-rounded and kind of like honing in what I want to do and what my perspective is I would say and is there like a, a big feeling change in terms of now that you're working for yourself um I you know honestly I was like waiting for this big momentous feeling and it, mm -hmm. we've been so busy. <laughs> like, it honestly just feels like not a lot has changed. Um, though, I would say the mental weight of thinking about it beforehand, before we launched, is gone. And now it's just like, okay, we're doing it and we're busy and it's, we're, it's great and let's keep working. Right now, we're just focused on working and doing the best job on every, every job we can. So mm -hmm. it's cool. It's different, but it's not like, it wasn't this momentous thing, you know, it was more like a relief a little bit. So 
Wow. And so n now, now that we know why, I kind of want to get into how. How did it happen? How, you know, what, what's the process behind one coming up with a name even? Can yeah. you tell me more about the name? Um, Chris, well, Chris had a soap company that he was working on. Because he, I will say this, Chris is a master package designer and a brand designer. Like, he is just amazing. So that's kind of... Um, that's kind of why we work well together. He's such a great designer and I'm a photographer. So it's like content and design, like they need each other. Um, and so, yeah, we just, you know, really great friendship to start. And then we started working on a soap company for fun. Um, and we did a couple of photo shoots just really just for fun. And we were like, that's kind of what spurred it. It was like, this is, this is going really well. Like our working relationship, mm -hmm. um, and just the way we work creatively, like he's very open and flexible. And I think I am too. Like we're pretty laid back. We're very similar in a lot of ways. Um, and it was like, let's just make cool stuff. Like let's, let's make the coolest thing we can. And I was like, okay, let's do that. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. Yeah. And the name itself as well. Yeah. So, you know, we had those experiences with a soap company and it was like, well, maybe we do this. And like I said, we, we spent a lot of time strategizing on what it would be and what it wouldn't be, which is almost, I mean, it is just as important, um, sort of identifying what we're not going to do. Yeah. Um, and the name, I really wanted to do pool house, but it, so many people had taken it. There was like, there was an apparel brand. There was a couple of studios, like even H A U S like the, I guess it's like a German or something. Yeah. Um, I really wanted to do pool house. So I was kind of thinking in that vein and plus we're in Florida. I'm a big fan. I mean, yeah, Florida for yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm a big fan of like Palm Springs and mid century era design and lifestyle. Um, so I really wanted that kind of feeling. Um, and at first we were really going to take it like not, not that look. We were going to use the name pool boy, but it, it was going to be really like, hard and edgy and it was like yeah that doesn't feel right so we went fully like mid-century so we're basically like if this were a brand or a hotel what would it look like and so chris came up with this logo and of course we got it on a corksicle so <laughs> yeah very happy with nice. it yeah and so okay and the big question is on your website you have this thing where it says that it's photography essentially marries with the design mm -hmm. so what is the process of marrying photography to design because I, I i guess i'm assuming that this is chris's strongest suit mm -hmm. right and you are responsible for photography mm -hmm. so what's the process of like symbiosis between the two of you yeah so i would say the design is more print packaging branding and not so much like web or ux or anything like that mm -hmm. and so anything that's tangible like it kind of goes into that e-commerce world like anything that's tangible, you need to show it. So there's got to be content of some sort of it. And I feel like that's where the marriage is. And if, if we're creating consumer packaged goods and boxes and packaging and branding elements or branding touch points, whatever it is, we need a photo of it, right? Or a video, yeah. some sort of content. So like for us, we just feel like they go hand in hand and I think it really benefits our customers, you know, like, you know, we, being in-house, we can just do that for them and 
we're we're excited to do it anyway because if Chris designs something awesome, we want to photograph it right away and show it. So you know what I mean. So that's sort of the merit, yeah. I would say. And uh, speaking of customers, what was your first customer experience like? And what were some like the challenges that you had to overcome? Because you know, n- no processes are ideal. For example, same like at ScoreShot, as you said, it's we've been in the business for five years, and you know, every day you still find things that you can improve on, mm-hmm. right? So, in terms of uh, production-wise, what are some of the challenges that you had, right, you know, right off the bat when you just had your first customer? Yeah, so we have been full time for two months, so we're still we're still in this transition. We're still learning. We we kind of we actually said this yesterday, like you know, in January we'll sit down and decide like what have we learned for the, this first six months. So we're, we're sort of in data gathering mode. We know what we're offering. We know what we want to do and we know what we are doing and it's working so far. We haven't put any work out. Like our website is very lean. It's just been word of mouth, um, you know, really close friends that we're working with. So we're, we're just trying to build as much work and portfolio as possible and learn from like, what works the best. Um, luckily we both have experiences mm-hmm. in this kind of world. So, you know, we talked about this before we launched and we really had a lot of this stuff set up before. So it's plug and play, like quoting and proposals or templates. We have a rate sheet and it's just like by the numbers, like just kind of plug and play and do it. And, you know, each, each project is a unique project and it takes some thinking, but, as much as we can like systemize, we kind of have, um, mm-hmm. just to like get us, you know, closer to the goal line. So I would say every job that comes in, we can quote it, you know, art direct it within a couple of days or, or faster and get it out really fast. Cause we know, like, we just know our numbers, we know our services mm-hmm. um, and then whatever is extra or, uh, extra unique we just figure it out as we go and so and that's the question that I really wanted to know as well is when it comes to extra unique so there's in there's in general this concept of productization that's happening productization of services specifically right uh, to make it more predictable for certain brands you have to price you know products uh, services as products what is your approach in just in general to pricing and how do you price creativity <sighs> <laughs> Um, that's a big question I know yeah it's it's well I think I think the magic is having trust with someone and then trusting that you can really excel in, on the creative side because there is just like you know practical logistics of like the studio costs this much the gear is this and the art director is this and all this stuff so when I say we have a rate sheet, like that stuff is listed. And when it comes in, we just base it off that, base it off time essentially. And then that's when we kind of step back and look at the creative idea. Like did, are they coming to us with, um, with art direction or they, do they need us to art direct it? So, and that's, that's the difference. And that's where it's like flexible and we're trying to figure it out. Um, but I don't know what the so answer is. you build is. quotes for every client, like uniquely, right? Yeah. Individually. Yeah. But I don't know what the answer is for, like, how do you price creativity? Like, you know, that's probably the magic question that everyone's trying to put their finger on. 
Yeah. Because, I mean, that's one of the things that we face as well at, uh, at SquareShot that, you know, it's much easier to properly price and productize uh, catalog photos, right? Because, you know, the process there is very straightforward, very transparent. And, you know, you have you have these setups. So you kind of, it's easier to identify the cost of good, right? But when it comes to going to the gray area of, you know, creativity like hero shots, advertising shots, there's a lot of... Uh, interpretation involved there there's a lot of personal taste and so once you start going there you know and you start working with back and forth with the client you know trying to understand what they want what they don't want right it kind of it becomes really hard to just offer a very specific price mm -hmm. right so your approach i guess is just to kind of uh understand their needs and then start from there yeah yeah and Do you do you offer as well like style guides before you go into shoots, especially when it comes to art direction? I think it depends. You know, we have done that when it's needed, but it's not for every every shoot. And I I, I do mm -hmm. think it's important to work with people who you can have a relationship with, and there's a, a give and take and a trust that happens. That's not easy to do right off the bat when it's just like a stranger, you know. But I do think it's important and. That's what we've learned when I was at Corksicle working with all these licensed partners. Like it really is a relationship and you're both trying to attain a goal and work together on it. So I take that into like consideration when we're talking to customers and um, they just, you know, there's gotta be a level of trust where they know we're gonna deliver really creative and fun, engaging stuff for their brand. And hopefully they have a brand and a brand guideline that we can just say, if we if we get that we can work inside those frameworks and that's a huge step and if they don't mm -hmm. we can help them with that and so that that's the question kind of like uh what is your approach when they don't because again this is a battle of tastes mm -hmm. in a way right mm -hmm. and then you the studio always comes in as an expert in a way but mm -hmm. at the same time because there's so much subjectivity involved mm -hmm. how do you start to align expectations if something is not working out um, well, your first question, if they don't have a style guide, like, or a brand, hopefully yeah. that's one of our services. Like we're going to, we're definitely going to have that conversation, but if it's, there's been a few instances where, where our customers don't, but we, they have a goal, like they come to us with a campaign. So that, that kind of builds its own style guide and framework. So we can work within a mm -hmm. campaign idea. Um, and it's really a back and forth. Like we can come up with ideas and present it to them and say we could do this or we could do this and we can give them our recommendation you know like uh, we're always going to do what we are most excited about as mm -hmm. boy um unless unless they're unless they come in really strong and say like this is what i love it's got to be this color like and here's the message you know like we can do that too so it's mm -hmm. it's it's all about relationships and the personal back and forth it truly is but is there a way to kind of uh is there anything that you can do beforehand before jumping into the job to make sure that the chances of aligning expectations in the end mm -hmm. right and delivering the product that the client wants mm -hmm. you know that the, the chance is higher essentially in mm -hmm. that yeah i see what you're saying and that kind of gets into yeah we can we will build a shot list that's a mood board and it's like we're going to get X, Y, and Z shot. It's going to look like these things with 
these materials and these colors. So yeah, we we do build the style guide for shallows, yeah. And so there's a lot of preliminary uh, approval, I guess, of the concept before you go into the actual production process, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we would we would just call that a pre-production meeting, where like before we shoot, we make sure you good, you guys good with this stuff. Like yes, okay, go. And and that's like you know looking at colors and materials and lighting and vibe and all that all that stuff. Uh, what what is like the general advice that you could give to a brand that's like currently looking for its visual identity because you know when you come in just to when you start with just a product right for example just any clothing right it's really hard to create that universe or like the environment around it to have this kind of a, a lifestyle image or anything mm -hmm. so what can you recommend the brands who are you know are started with just simple products and then want to you know diversify and want to go into that world and want to have want to have a brand in the first place yeah, well, they need to know why they're doing it. Like, what's their perspective on, on the product they're creating? Like, I, I can always say, like, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Um, but if, mm -hmm. you, if you really have a vision and you're really, like, passionate about it, you should know why, and that should translate in, in, through your products and base your brand off that. And my other advice would be if you don't have a brand, you can contact us at poolboystudio.com. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, you know, quickly jump into the thing that, uh, into um, authenticity of content, mm -hmm. right? And so yeah. talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something I've noticed over the years, you know, people, especially coming from video where you like, put, you know, it takes so much work and so much thought to get really beautiful pictures and production and sometimes, sometimes it lands flat on e-commerce where really it, it depends on the category too, like a beauty product where, mm -hmm. you know, you put all this money into a great production and really the girl in the bathroom on her phone, that video just explodes for you and has, you know, really like connects with the audience versus like the high production, beautiful video that you shot. And I think that's just really interesting. And I'm, it's like, I don't want to lose attaining beautiful pictures but there's mm -hmm. a balance that that we got to find in content of being authentic but also like um producing aspirational fun beautiful images i mean it almost feels like coming into production without an idea like like a solid one as well feels like a waste of money because mm -hmm. you are going to create you know this remarkable content but if your idea is whack and there's no thought that behind it you're kind of really wasting resources. And again, you're better off shooting a really cool idea and the one that aligns with your brand on an iPhone, right? Yeah. Which are like, iPhones are great in terms of like photography, not to discredit anything in terms of like your cameras. And, but yeah, yeah, then actually investing, over-investing into production and just not really delivering anything. Yeah, maybe that ties back into that, like what are new brands, how do they become efficient and scrappy with their content or make their content go the furthest is like maybe invest in the idea more than the production. Like, I don't know. It's, it's a balance. Um, as much as I want to make beautiful images only, like I understand there's a, there's that authenticity that's got to connect with the audience. And it's just, sometimes it's got to be raw, like, like a podcast in my home office, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know I mean, saying? that's kind of, I feel like that's something that uh, a lot of people can borrow from like the new generation of even uh, like the Silicon Valley. There's like the, the concept of um, MVP, right? When people are essentially 
they want to get it out as soon as possible mm -hmm. and then start to like get feedback. And based on that, they're going to, you know, tune out the processes and, you know, make it better. But first, just get it out. Ha have it, you know, have it there. Have it in real life. Make it test the waters before right. you overinvest in. You know what? I, I, I heard that motto a long time ago and I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I, I think it was and it was when I visited Facebook, the, the headquarters. They had these posters on the wall that said, um, done is better than perfect. And I was like, no, it's not. That's not right. And I struggled with it for so long. But now, like, maybe a little bit more experience. I'm like, maybe, maybe that's right. You just got to get it out and get better the next time. Instead of letting it be a roadblock for yourself of just trying to attain perfection. And I think a lot of creative people struggle with that. Really just, like, get it out, move to the next thing, and get better the next time. As long as you're learning and building on your every experience and every job, like that's the goal. So like, like my good friend, Greg, he always is like, are you better than you were a year ago? Like, look at your work now. And then look a year ago. Are you, are you better? And it's like, obviously like, wow, what was I doing last year? That's terrible. <laughs> if you can say that, then, then you're really like, and, and maybe there's like some personal check-ins you need to do to make sure you're moving forward. But um, I do think that is a, this is a conversation a lot of creative people have of like just getting hung up on perfection and, you know, not being happy. And plus also you're, you're trying to attain your personal standards. I mean, not even like this, the, the people that you're creating this for. Right. So mm -hmm. sometimes it's better to let it go. Yeah. That's a hard and one. It's hard to, I don't know. I, sometimes you recognize it but it's hard to like practice on it or like act on it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You're like, I need to just like let this go. But I mean, that's a great obstacle in terms of like just in general for photography, especially for any creatives that should probably start learning a little bit more from more hands-on practical people in terms of like, this is it. We're going to yeah. move on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, uh, mm -hmm. Man, that goes into a whole rabbit hole of like comparison and, social media like I, I feel like if if the creative community especially like photographers and designers especially in a community like if you can be supportive and encouraging and even like have an educational mindset of like let's mm -hmm. let's like share tips and encourage each other like I'm all about that like I, I think that's super important I, I get it I get the sense there's a lot of negativity and like cutthroat creatives out there who are just like you know, just mm -hmm. sitting on everybody's work and whatever. Actually, I this know. is kind I of don't even you know, know that's no, no, no. The, what you mentioned is, uh, you know, delivering content in terms of like the way social media is right now, where sometimes raw but authentic content, you know, outsells. Mm -hmm. I don't want to use that word, but outsells mm -hmm. the high production content that takes you know a long time to shoot. So. Isn't that, I don't want to say scary, but how do you, how do you create high-end content now if there's a world where people can literally just spend less and get more out of it? So what's, what's kind of your, you know, should you really invest into high-end content? That's kind of a big question. Yeah. I mean, that it is scary for sure. And it kind of goes back to like, we want to make beautiful images, but it's like, if the selfie video is performing better, it's like, oh, that's it's real. It's authentic. Um, I will say, 
you need to know your brand. And then when you see when you see things that are like cutting corners or it's kind of a cheap reiteration of an idea that's been done a hundred times on Instagram, like people know, like you see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's just about, I don't know. It depends on the brand, but for me, it's like, are, is it having, are you having fun? Is this fun to do? Are you like learning every time? Are you trying new lighting techniques and trying to present a product in a new fresh way? Like, um, I think it has to be a personal thing, but I'm, yeah, I'm constantly trying to make more, more and more beautiful images and more high end images. So that is a scary conversation. I don't know. I don't know what the, yeah. I, I get the, I get the reality and I think, a brand needs a mix. Like I think there's got to balance there, to be a upkeep. Yeah, there, there can be a mix. Yeah, because I don't know. It goes into like, in I don't know. There's different channels. Like all the different channels. You yeah, have a special channel and different people as well, different audiences. So, so exactly. you, for example, the the high end mm-hmm. content is something that catches your eye. The authentic content is something that builds your loyalty and trust towards the actual brand. Right, and then you're gonna get the the final con, which is can be like catalog or product imagery, which is like that thing that's gonna persuade you to you know to make the purchase or anything. So I guess you you can't really uh, avoid any of that. You have to be present everywhere in a way. I mean, oh, that's so frustrating because who can do that? <laughs> you know, like I agree with you, and I I think that I, I've. Up until this point, I've always taken the stance that the content and the message are—they don't change. Mm-hmm. Like the channels change. Like you make the content and you tell your story, you tell your brand story, and then you put them out into the channels. Now I get like splitting hairs of like, well, you can't post the same photo on all your—I don't know. That's a brand strategy, but like, do do you, you know, think that there's a world where like? you're spreading the butter too thin by trying to appeal to, you know, every single demographic, every single channel. Should you just focus on something? I think it depends on the size of your company or your brand, but yeah, like, and maybe that's just my strong personal opinion. It's like, know who you are and focus on what you do and just like lean into it. Don't try to be all things to all people. And maybe I'm speaking like that is our, guiding factor Chris and I with Bull Boy it's like you know we're not gonna so I guess I guess there's a book we read um I think his name is Eli Altner and he gave mm-hmm. an analogy about um Cheesecake Factory the restaurant I don't know if you're familiar but the menu is so. a book it's this thick it's got like 300 menu items on it and you can sit down and literally you can go there and have anything you can think of but like, is it going to be as good as going to the Italian restaurant that only makes whatever, you know what I'm saying? Or the steak mm-hmm. restaurant that they have two things on the menu. So we, we've like decidedly leaned towards um, having that small menu. Like this is what we focus on. We're not going to be all things to all people. Cause I just, I can't wrap my head around that. Like I don't see how that works for any brand or any company trying to like please everyone. Cause that's impossible. And that's also something that we also can borrow from like the Silicon Valley in terms of like 100 better, uh, loyal customers that really love your product and are going to talk about your product to their peers 
is mm-hmm. way better than having like a thousand or ten thousand customers that are like a okay with it because mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't go past that, right? Yeah. So essentially, it's just it kind of uh kind of stays at the, at, the, at the mark because no one is passionate enough to spread the word. Yeah, I agree. Like that, that's exactly right. I mean, what's what's ahead right now for you? What are like some of the biggest things that you want to tackle in the future in terms of like the processes, for example, or in terms of like, you know, expanding your, uh, the amount of services you provide? Yeah. Um, let's see. The whole world is ahead. You know, we, we've got a lot of photo shoots coming up. It's, it's funny cause we're still, like I said, we're still learning. We're still in this transition. At mm-hmm. first it was a lot of design projects. Now it's a lot of photo projects and we're trying to like, um, we're trying to find a sweet spot of like building brands and then executing on the brand. So like really looking for long-term relationships with startup brands where we can, where we can start with them right from the beginning and then carry through on executing on content. Um, there's been a couple that are like that, but really it's, um, that's kind of our focus is finding those, those type of partners. Mm-hmm. And there's this uh, recurring segment that I always want to, you know, approach because you've been in the comp- content production business in a while, for a while now. Mm-hmm. And is there any stereotypes about the business, about the industry, about the process, for example, that you'd like to break for, for you know, all the clients out there? Well, I don't know if it's a stereotype, but the first thing that comes to mind is, um, like, I have noticed a lot of cheap services for creative content mm-hmm. popping up. Um, and I'll, without saying any names, <laughs> it's like <laughs> you get what you pay for is, is, is what I want to say. And that kind of goes across the board, probably for every creative service. Like you really get what you pay for. And if you if you value your brand, you'll invest in it. And it's important to invest in how you present yourself and taking yourself seriously. I think a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their head around the value of design. Um, not everyone, but it, I, I do see it can be a problem for some people because some people are so sales oriented. They're like, just get it out there. Like, you know, it doesn't matter what it looks like or so there's a balance. I don't know. I don't know if that breaks mm-hmm. any stereotypes, but that's I've- I that's I think that's one of the biggest stereotypes that I believe people have in terms of like in general mm-hmm. the the value of content is because again like you, you you mentioned that as well even though e-commerce has been here for a while it's still relatively young in terms of like if you were to compare it to just you know traditional mm-hmm. commerce mm-hmm. right and it feels like um, there's a common misconception that uh, content is a choice so mm-hmm. it's no longer a choice one it's a commodity right mm-hmm. and two it's the reason why e-commerce exists in the first place. Mm. So understanding the value and also, you know, aligning your expectation in terms of like what is the process as well helps you to get better results. You know, knowing your things, knowing your product, knowing your brand, as you mentioned as well, kind of, you know, it it helps you to have a better synergy with the studio because you guys are both working towards the same result. Right. And so it's kind of if they understand your process and you understand their process, then you're more likely to, you know, achieve something that's better than, you know, mediocre or, you know, get those unique shots, get those unique, you know, scenes and everything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I definitely agree with that stereotype. 
And I mean, I, I feel like that's a that's a great moment to kind of you know wrap wrap it up. I am very excited to that we got finally to speak, and I'm also very excited to talk to Chris. Hopefully, we can get him on you know on this the first season of Score Talk and talk about design more. You know, because that's that's kind of like the big thing you guys have this unique kind of uh, synergy as you as you call it marriage. Yeah. Almost. Well, I mean, I'll say this. I'll be candid with you. I'm always behind the scenes. I'm never the one in front of the camera. Like this is, mm -hmm. you know, so you got me. Now that you got me, you got to get Chris. We'll get him out. One hundred percent. Yeah. Again, Dylan, thank you so much for coming. It was really, really fun to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. And I, again, thank you to the whole team at Square Shot. I appreciate you guys. Thanks. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye bye. See you.